Hi, everyone. Good evening. Wonderful to see you all. So um, the topic for tonight's class is actually going to be um, a continuation of an answer that I just began to give uh, last week to a question that Amanda asked about um, what to do um, when we're trying to say hello to thoughts or feelings that come up during meditation practice, but um, but which kind of like hook us very powerfully when we turn towards them. Um, and um, and it was a really it's a really good question. It's one that is um, I think relevant to everybody at different times in their journey through practice. And I, I gave an initial response, but as I was thinking about the question over the past week, I realized that there was a lot more that I want to say about it. Um, kind of a kind of, uh, of, I want to offer a variety of ways that one can deal with, um, with difficult stuff that may come up during meditation practice, which we try to turn our gaze towards rather than turn away but then which kind of just overwhelm us, um, kind of just um, kind of suck us in and we end up spiraling. Perhaps anxiety gets actually worse, um, fear spiral, um, different kinds of, anyway, all sorts of, can take different kinds of forms. So we're kind of doing what we're, we, we think we should be doing, what we should be doing, which is saying yes to this difficult thing that comes up, but it, it seems like actually it's almost counterproductive. Um, I feel worse. I, I my mind feels less, more out of control when I do this. Um, and um, so I'm going to have uh, um, a, a number of things to say to this question after we sit together. But I just want to um, read two paragraphs from the text that I shared last week, um, and um, because in it. Actually, Ezra Beta, who wrote this text, um, offers one suggestion that I just want to put on the table in case anyone experiences these difficult kinds of, um, you know, overwhelming um, thoughts or emotions during the sitting tonight, because one never knows, right, when something difficult might come up. And so, um, so I'll just say, like, if you want more possibilities, wait for the talk after. But it might come up during the sitting, and in case it does, um, here's a possibility. Okay, so um, I'm going to just read two paragraphs here, and then we'll sit. Okay. Ultimately, practice requires the implicit understanding that whatever situation or emotion that we cannot say yes to is the exact direction of our path, the exact direction our practice needs to take. So if anxiety arises, we don't have to fight it, nor do we need to fix it. In fact, instead of viewing it as a problem, we simply pause, acknowledge it, and then say hello to it, which means welcoming it with curiosity as an opportunity to work with our own particular edge. Remember, we don't have to like the anxiety. We just need to feel it as the physical experience that it is. Sometimes it seems, and then, okay, so that's, that's, that's the ask, right? That's, that's what practice is asking of us, um, to say yes to whatever arises, even, even saying yes to everything in us that's saying, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want this experience, okay? And, um, 
And honestly, practice really is most powerful and beneficial when we are at our edge. So this isn't like, it's not like these edge states where we're at the edge of what we can tolerate. It's something to fear, something um, that we should, if we do, if we practice well, we never get to this edge. You know, um, it's actually like, it's at the edge that we grow the most, where our practice has the most to offer us. Um, so it's actually a place, as much as we don't like, that we ought to welcome. Um, uh, and yet it can be very, very difficult to be at the edge sometimes. Um, so sometimes, this reading this next paragraph, sometimes it seems that we just cannot say yes to our experience. Perhaps the experience is too powerful or too overwhelming. The voice of fear says no. It warns us to close off and defend. But another part of us, the part of us that brings us to an evening like this to sit together, says yes, calling us to open and connect. And even when we don't feel like we're in touch with that part of us that Ezra's talking about here, we're here. And that, why are we here? Part of us feels this impulse to open and to connect. And not just connect to others, but also to all those parts of ourselves that we would deny and cut off. Um, I think that's where the, the profound healing of meditation practice comes from. We connect more deeply to others as we connect more deeply to ourselves. And then he says, but the way to open to those parts, those experiences that we would say no, no, no to, is by breathing the uncomfortable sensations directly into the center of the chest on the in-breath. Then on the out-breath, simply breathing out, allowing us to possibly experience the healing power of the heart. So this is the one practical tidbit that I just want to put on the table before we sit tonight. If something comes up, overwhelming anxiety, some deep discomfort, maybe uh, um, a grief, um, whatever it may be, something that we just want to say no to. One suggestion that Ezra is offering is visualize yourself breathing that very thing that you don't want to accept into the center of the chest, into the heart space. And it's as if you were saying, let me just give a little bit of warmth, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of care, to this experience I'm having within me that I cannot tolerate. Um, and don't, it's not cognitive. It's just breathe it, visualize yourself breathing into the heart. It may not work for some of you, but for some of you, it may. It's just like, it's the one possibility that, that Ezra offers in this text that I want to remind us of and put on the table in case as we sit tonight, something comes up that you feel puts you at your edge and maybe a little bit beyond your edge, what you're able to tolerate. Um, it can be very powerful. Um, so, okay, we're going to do um, three-point awareness practice, an open awareness practice tonight, and um, we'll do it for about 20 to 25 minutes, and then we'll talk for a bit, okay? All right, so please get into a comfortable position. You might sway back and forth, 
side to side, just to feel your body come to a nice natural centering. You feel balanced, neither leaning forward nor back, nor side to side. And please take a deep breath in through the nose, breathing as deeply and fully as possible. Feeling the entire upper body filling up with air. And exhale slowly through your slightly open mouth. And really draw that exhalation out. Keep breathing in and out in this way for a minute, just breathing deeply in through the nose and exhaling nice and slow through a slightly open mouth. In fact, if you experience any difficult emotions that feel intolerable to you during this sitting, this is another thing you might try. Just pause from whatever practice we're doing and just take a few deep relaxation breaths like this in the middle of the sitting. This kind of breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system, helps settle the nervous system down. And it can be a wonderful thing to do if you feel your body and mind becoming overly agitated, overly stimulated. That's why it's a good thing to do at the beginning of a sitting to help settle us into particular meditation session. Please take one final deep relaxation breath in this way, into the nose and out through a slightly open mouth. Then let your mouth come to a close. Just breathe in and out through the nose. And no longer manipulating the breath, no longer intentionally lengthening the breath, just let the breath come and go at its own natural rhythm, whatever that rhythm may be like. Well, please bring your awareness to the inside of your nose and feel the sensations produced by the breath as it enters and exits your body, as the breath passes over the soft tissue and the inside of your nostrils. Notice how the breath is cooler on the in-breath and warmer 
the out-breath after the air has been warmed by your lungs. As you continue to sit with the breath, let's let your awareness of the sensations become ever more textured, breath by breath. Noticing the subtle shifts in the sensations from the beginning to the middle to the end of each in-breath and out-breath. Notice and really feel the slight pause between the end of one out-breath and the beginning of the next in-breath. Feel and dwell in that pause. Until the body naturally begins breathing in the next inhalation. Whenever a thought pulls you away from the breath, when you realize that you've lost track of the breath, which will happen over and over again, just acknowledge that by saying, thinking to yourself. It's a way of saying, yes, I'm thinking. Nothing wrong with that. Just noticing that. And gently and without judgment, bring your awareness back to the breath. Now let's bring our awareness down to the center of our chest and feel the sensations in the middle of the breastbone that are associated with the rise and fall of the chest as you breathe. How does the center of your chest feel as you breathe in and out? You feel any tension? any tenderness. Perhaps it feels raw there, just notice. And notice how the sensations there in the breastbone area change subtly throughout the course of each in-breath and out-breath. 
Now please bring your awareness to the belly and feel the sensations in the belly that are associated with the breath. Don't try to force the breath into the belly and just let the belly move as much or as little as it naturally seems to want to do as you breathe. For some of you, the belly will move significantly, for others, very little. Point is not to breathe in some correct particular way, but just to notice how the belly moves, how the belly feels as you breathe. You may notice or sense tension or other kinds of uncomfortable sensations in the belly. It would be quite normal. When you encounter discomfort of any kind here or anywhere else in your body, just let your awareness soften around those uncomfortable sensations. Do your best to just let those sensations be there, not trying to get rid of them, not trying to fight them. Just letting whatever you encounter just be, just float in awareness that is soft and accepting. Now please let your awareness widen so that you can feel the breath in the nose, the chest, and the belly all at once. If that feels difficult to do, you can slowly rotate through the different spots, letting your awareness alight on the nose for a bit and move down to the chest after a few breaths, and then the belly, and back up to the nose. But once in a while, see if you can hold two or all three spots in your awareness simultaneously, feeling the breath as a whole throughout the entire upper body.
while you continue following the breath in this way, please widen your awareness a bit more to include all the sounds in the space around you. So while you feel the sensations of the breath in the body, you're also hearing everything that's going on around, on around you. At this stage, feel free to focus on the breath in just one spot, if you like, the nose, chest, or belly. But some of you may appreciate or enjoy following the breath in all three spots at the same time. Feeling the breath, listening for sound. Now let's add one final anchor to our practice. Add the sensations in your hand to the breath and the sounds around you. Let your awareness widen, dilate further. You can feel the breath, feel your hands, and hear all the sounds around you. If it feels difficult to hold all three anchors simultaneously, please feel free to rotate through them. First breath, then sounds, then hand, cycling through in this way.
at this moment, can you hear all the sounds around you? Notice how when we get lost in thought, it's as, if, it's as if a barrier arises between us and the sounds around us, and we hear less of what's going on in our world. Just to make sure that we're not getting too spacey once in a while, it's a good idea to cycle through the anchors just to check, am I feeling the breath? Am I feeling the sensations in my hands? Am I hearing the sounds around me?
Okay, everyone, that's good for this sitting. Please feel free to stretch, get comfortable, get a drink of water. Okay, so um, so I want to say a f- some words about how to work with um, stuff that comes up when we're sitting that can just feel very difficult to tolerate, um, and maybe also that like um, that can really suck us in, like like. Um, let's say we're being aware of anxiety um, and, and starting to, to notice the thoughts that, that make up the anxiety and feel it in our body. And suddenly before we know it, we're just like spinning in anxiety, right? We're actually just being anxious. Um, or we're practicing with the, the arising of anger. Um, uh, and before we know it, we're suddenly just furious and we, our body is flooded with, with feelings of anger and rage or lust or desire or, you know, any number of things where we're, we're turning towards something that's arising and then suddenly it just like gets its hooks into us. And before we know it, we're off and running and we're just completely identified with that kind of mental state. So intolerable is not the exact... It is stuff that could be intolerable, but also stuff that is just is very, um, very sticky. I mean, just use that kind of sort of generic label that really catches us up. And so last week, um, oh yeah, good, Amanda, I'm glad you're here. No, I mean, so Amanda asked, I mean, am I right? This is the kind of stuff you're asking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's something that, I mean, anyone who practices for a while is, is, is gonna deal with this, you know? Um, and it, it's, um, and I think kind of learning different like moves as it were, different ways of um, engaging with these kinds of experiences is actually a huge part um, of what practice is about. Um, and not just in the early years, but at any, any stage. Because, um, you know, what, if we're practicing diligently, you know, we won't always be at our edge. That would be pretty untold. That would be pretty difficult. Um, but there's always going to be, you're going to cycle through different phases of, of things that are at your edge coming up, you know? So like, you know, maybe when you've practiced for a few, a few years, like something that irritated you when you first started or before you practice won't so much. You can just say, oh, okay, yeah, I see that, that that's, that's that kind of irritation that's arising. I can, I can notice it. It's not a big deal. And it's actually one of the great wonders and, and kind of rewards of practice that mental states that, that um, we used to get like really sucked up in with practice, our relationship to them changes. But as our relationship to those kind of states change, often other um, kinds of edge states start to arise. Things that um, you know, we may not even have realized was there you know, to be worked on. Um, it's an ongoing journey. 
with nonlinear and just waves, waves, waves. And um, so, um, so I think, um, okay, so just like to work through a few different thoughts I wanna um, kind of offer on this kind of experience is that I think um, noticing as Amanda had to have in order to even ask the question she did, right? That she was getting caught up or overwhelmed by certain kinds of thoughts. I mean, that itself is like a huge win, right? That is that is a deep insight. I think it's worth like just acknowledging that that because um, I think we can emphasize we can overemphasize the fact that oh, I got caught up in that, you know, that emotion or that thought pattern again, and I didn't, it, it, I didn't. That that felt not successful, but noticing that one got caught up is already itself a kind of um, is an important kind of awareness, and that is the seed from which the kind of freedom that we will eventually achieve over these kinds of like states grows. Right. So um, even as it feels sometimes naturally frustrating to feel like we're just getting caught up again and again in these repetitive mental patterns that are our own particular karma, right? Um, to kind of like actually give ourselves a little credit each time we notice that that's happened is I think really important. Um, and in, and, and to, to just have some perspective to know that the reason these kinds of thoughts, these kind of emotions are carrying me away so repeatedly is because they are very powerful. So. Um, because we have a lot of history with them, unworked through history with them. So, um, you know, it, so it's important, I think, to balance the difficulty, the challenge, and the frustration with, says, oh, but I am starting to understand what the big hooks are, which thought patterns, which emotions are really the ones that grab me most intensely. And that learning is in a huge part of what happens with consistent practice. Um, then I think an, another thing that which we try during um, this, this session tonight is like thought labeling or noting thoughts. So when um, we notice that a certain kind of um, thought pattern is arising and is sticky, we can label it. Now we can label it in a very general way like thinking as we did during this practice tonight, or we can label it more specifically, like having a thought and whatever, and then repeat the thought that you have, like having a thought that um, this is never gonna work out, having a thought like, what's the use? You know, um, having a thought, I can never do anything well, you know, I can never do everything, anything right, not good enough. Um, labeling thoughts, either the kind of general thinking or, the more specific having a thought and then verbatim repeating the thought are two ways of shifting our relationship to these kinds of thoughts. Um, it creates a bit more space um, between us and the thought, which we might otherwise be tempted just to believe. You know, um, so having a thought, I'm no good at anything, or I'm never, I'm not good enough, um, is different from just simply believing the thought, I'm not good enough. At first, the labeling won't do anything to how much we believe the thought. Um, and for a long time, we'll have to label the thought and sort of feel that ah, I'm still, that thought is still like, that's still the truth, you know, and I'm still, I, I still think that. Um, 
But with practice and over time, there'll be a little bit of a gap between the thought and your sort of belief in it. And you'll start to see that the thought can actually be there without you necessarily always identifying with the thought or believing it. And that is another, that's, that's a huge, powerful transformation, which is very, very slow, very gradual. But once in a while, you'll get these glimpses like, and you can suddenly see like, I'm having a thought which actually would have sent me spiraling, you know, at some other point in my life. But now I can just see, oh, it's just a thought. And then you'll get sucked back in. And then, you know, so it's like, again, nothing I would practice is linear. You can have these moments of like incredible spaciousness where you see your conditioning very clearly and feel unidentified with it, like free of its grip. And then you're completely overwhelmed and lost. And actually I would suggest that those moments of freedom are often followed by moments of intense um, overwhelm or intense identification. It's almost as if like, we're so used to feeling tight and constricted by our beliefs that when they start to feel looser, it's like it's like a sea anemone, just like then we just kind of tighten up again. You know, it's as if like, no, no, that feels unsafe being that spacious and open. Let me go back to my comfort state, which is actually like tight um, and girded. And and then it's just it's kind of like um, actually um, uh, Peter Levine, who works on trauma, um, he's a trauma therapist. Actually, uses this word pendulation. It's like and it's like a it's this picture of like things expanding, a sense of more openness are often followed by experience of contraction. And this is in trauma therapy, like the process of healing is a process of pendulation, tightening and then opening, but overall tending towards more and more openness. And the same thing I think is true of practice. We start to experience some openness and often like the next day, we just are even more irritable, you know, or more caught up in our shit, right? Um, and so we can say, oh my God, I suck at this. Like I like, you know, the last sitting last night felt so good. And today I'm just like, a, I'm an asshole, right? Um, or I'm just like caught up in my anxiety or this or that. It's not an accident. And actually like, you know, I, in my own experience and experience of a lot of people I've talked to a practice, that's actually a very common pattern. Um, so, and it might actually be a sign that things are shifting in you. Okay. Sometimes, um, we can't even begin to label individual thoughts. Like good luck saying having a thought, I'm worthless. Or it's just like there's the, the, the thought streams are rushing so powerfully, right? We can't even pick out any individual thought. It's just like the experience of overwhelming anxiety, the overwhelming, you know, uh, kind of uh, depression or whatever it may be. And in, the, in those cases, it actually can be very useful just to label the whole gestalt, the whole thing, saying like, uh, spinning or i'm overwhelmed with fear you know or you know um uh having a having a thought like i need to get my life in, un, under control but actually like there's no actual individual thought i have to get my life under control it's just a whole rushing stream of thoughts that's like you feel like this kind of gripping like i gotta get a grip i gotta get things under control and it's just a kind of generic label that you can come up with um that kind of like says okay this experience and over time, you get more familiar. And, say, and it's just even that can give you a little bit of space. Like even if you are so still caught up in that spinning, that like feeling of out of controlness and wanting to get a grip, right? Just being able to say like, I'm feeling that way gives us so much more agency, so much more control, so much more like, you know, um, perspective on it all. Um, so, um, 
so that's, I think, another thing that can be useful um, when we are uh, really caught up in whatever it is that for each of us is our particular sort of, you know, edge state. Um, actually, I chatted with Ezra on the phone about this question. It's funny, he actually, um, when I sent this text out, he said, where'd you get that? He didn't even remember writing it. Um, and so uh, um, he said, yeah, it's actually not bad. <laughs> so he's like, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pay attention to this. Um, but, um, but he actually said the thing he would have said, because I, I, I took this question really seriously. So that's right, I got this question and I said this, and what would you have said? And he actually suggested that taking a break from the practice, whatever we're doing, and doing the relaxation breathing for a bit to help kind of like relax the nervous system a bit, give us a little bit more space. So, um, so, um, and, okay. One thing that I think some people get stuck in when they learn about thought labeling is that they start to approach practice or meditation in a very cognitive way. They think that somehow labeling thoughts is the all important thing. It, it is, it can be very, very important. Um, but uh, it's the real crucial thing is to actually reside in the physical experience of whatever kind of mental state we're having. So, um, the feet, what, it's not just noticing that I have an anxious thought, but really feeling what that anxiety feels like in the body. What particular muscles get tense? How does the breathing feel, right? Um, when, when you're feeling anxiety, um, you know, just, it's like, can you notice the tension in your palms, right? Um, when you're starting to get, you know, get a little anxious about something, whatever it may be. So thought labeling, is very, very important, can be really liberating, but it is preliminary to residing in the sensations in the body. So this is something that I think is actually very important to emphasize. Real healing, real transformation comes from being with the physical sensations that are associated with any difficult kind of mental state. So we label a thought, not because somehow seeing that thought itself is gonna be sufficient, to, to create some kind of transformation as if like, oh, now I know I, I, that thought, but really to give us enough space so that we can like be less identified with it. So then, then we can bring our awareness into the body. So anytime you label a thought or a set of thoughts, once you've done that, drop your awareness down into the body and feel what kind of bodily state is correlated with that mental state. Um, every single strong mental state we have, I think, I think even not very strong ones, is correlated with some kind of effect in the body. Um, even when we're thinking about a math problem, right? Um, not something not even emotional. We're going to feel that in the body if we're aware in a very intimate way of what the body is doing. Mind and body aren't too, right? So anything happening in the mind is going to affect the body. So part of what practice is about is getting very intimate with the gradual fluctuations in, in the body as we go through different kinds of mental states. Um, so, so much of what feeds our obsession with staying in the head is our unwillingness or inability to stay with the body. We don't want to actually feel the anxiety. So we stay cycling in the thoughts of anxiety, you know? Um, so the more we can stay with the bodily experience, the less we're gonna be yanked around by them, the less, and over time, 
the less reactive we'll be to them. And then over time, those, those, that, that bodily experience itself may even begin to shift, um, where the, the, the tightness of anxiety may not even be as severe. You may, you may feel it as a much more subtle kind of tightening up or tension. But just staying with the experience of the body is key. Now, sometimes doing that, staying with the body, is even too much to ask of ourselves. Like, I can't. I can't stay with this experience of the body. It's too much. When that happens, it can be very helpful to begin to ask questions of those sensations. Simple ones like, huh, where is it located in the body? What shape does this bodily experience or sensation have? Is it on the surface or deep down in the body? If I had to name a color that it had, what color would it be? Things like that. And these questions have the same effect on the body that the thought labeling has on the mind. The way that thought labeling allows us to get a little bit of distance from the thought, you know, not so identified with the, the content of the thought. Asking these kinds of questions of the body allows us to feel these sensations, experience these sensations without getting absorbed by them. Because, you know, sometimes like you feel the tightness from anxiety, right? The fluttering chest, the heart rate, right? The tightness in the throat. And you start to bring your awareness into them. And suddenly, before you know it, you're just in a, you're having a panic attack, right? You're, you're just absorbed in the, that, that anxiety, full, full throttle. Asking questions like this, it's like you're in relationship to those sensations because you're asking questions about them and yet you're not drowning in them, you're not in them. See, it's like I can ask a question like, oh, what's, what shape does it have? What size is it? What color is it? So it's a way of being with, but not totally absorbed with the sensations. Over time, you won't need the questions. You, you'll be able to just like feel the sensations without getting like lost in them, but that can take time. And no matter how much you practice, there are times where the, 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 the sensations will be overwhelming. And it can be useful to have this way of like, Okay, let me just like let me let me go, go up, say hello, but I'm not merge with the sensation. Let me let me just like get, get you know, like cozy up, but not maybe like arms length. Maybe maybe shake its hand, you know, not not embrace it too tightly. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say there's the, actually even many more, but that's a lot. Just uh, the last thing I'm going to say is sometimes it's just too much. It's just too much. And it can be um, useful. It could be necessary to daydream, to let ourselves not experience what it is that we feel unable to experience. Um, as I've said uh, before, you know, Joko Beck, who was one of the more, most hardcore like Zen practitioners I've ever known, right? Um, actually like had a desert island in her mind that she would go to when she sometimes experienced things that she felt were like too much. And so during a retreat, a session or something, something would once in a while come up and then she said, okay, this is too much. I'm gonna give myself a few minutes break. And she'd go to this desert island where she had a little like hut that she would be decorating like as her perfect retreat, you know, um, like anything like Gilligan's Island or something. Um, and I think that, you know, you may say, what? Like, like a Zen teacher saying like daydream, you know, but Joko actually said, 
you know, it's, there's a huge difference between intentionally giving your mind a break in this way and just unintentionally taking flight into fantasy. Because often we're going to take flight into fantasy anyway, right? When it's too much. Um, or worse yet, we'll just get absorbed in the, in, in, in spiral in the, in the negative mental experience. So like saying, I'm gonna give myself a breather and doing it intentionally actually is like, is a very mindful practice. It's not, it's not somehow opposed to practice. It can be like saying, no, there's, there's a rhythm to practice. Sometimes it's about going really fully into something and sometimes it's giving ourselves a bit of space. And again, all of everything what I've been saying tonight is really actually this dance of space, right? Like when we can get really close to an experience, almost even like non-dual with it, like become one with um, a certain kind of sensation or experience. And when sometimes we need to like say, no, no, you can stay over there a little bit, a little bit at a distance. And let's, let's, just, let's just be there for a bit. And, um, and to give yourself a, uh, that, and that the movement between proximity and distance in practice, even to our own inner experience, is one of the things that we learn as we develop this art that is meditation practice. It's not a science. It's not like one technique that you just employ and it will take you boom where you want to go. It's developing a feel for when it's time, when you're actually maybe, actually maybe you just need to like be a little tougher, you know? So you know, like it's actually time to begin facing this a little bit more head on. And when sometimes it's like, actually, no, no, I, I, this is like, this is not good for me. I'm just gonna like, I need to like take a little bit of a breather from this. Okay. So um, depending on where people are in a given sitting or a different stage of their practice, different things about what I said will resonate. But I think at any point in one's practice journey, all of these things could be useful. These are all things that I've used in my own. Um, okay, so, because um, it's such an important thing, I wanted to take some time to really kind of go through these options. Any questions um, or just thoughts and you know, any, any comments based on experience with these kinds of experience, you know, mental states or practices? Yeah, Sylvia. For the first time, um, I I didn't um, have trouble sitting still, <laughs> um, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And I just was hearing you said something that was um, new for me about breathing and um, noticing the shifts and how it changes from the beginning, the middle, and the end mm -hmm. on the intake and the outtake, and that just totally absorbed me and it mm -hmm. felt like every breath was a movement so I was moving my head mm -hmm. without my body so they, I had to get away from my body because mm -hmm. if I get too much in my body then I start getting a panic attack that I can't move mm -hmm. and in this way it was like it, it, I had license to move mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't get because sometimes if I if I let the the panic grow too big, I can't, I can't manage it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do have to do something. Mm -hmm. So this was a way to, to alleviate it before I even knew that it was something that I could, that I should be afraid of because it didn't happen. So that was really interesting that I found movement in breath, which alleviated um, the fact that I, I can't mm -hmm. tolerate being still, but I was still physically but I was moving in my head. So, and, and I just, um, 
So that was a good technique for me. So that's good to know for the future if I start having it to do that, that um, really breakdown of a breath um, and, and facing it rather than avoiding it, um, finding actually it is, is going into my life, which is good, my daily life. That's really interesting, Sylvia. I'm glad. Um, and you know, it's interesting, like when you really get absorbed in the breath, like you're describing, you actually realize that, you know, we're actually never still. I mean, you know, like, it's funny, like in meditation, in a way, it looks like we're being really still, but actually there's always this kind of dynamic kind of flux or movement, you know, um, and it's, um, you know, it's not a rigid kind of stillness no. at all. Yeah, there's a, there's a flow to it. Um, so thank good. you. Yeah, right. Yeah. I had a question about the contraction. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think, and I, I just, yeah, I was kind of curious about, you know, do you have any theories as to, you know, why there's a contraction after growth burning or like, you know, based off the, you know, the trauma um, person you, you mentioned? Because I, th I think for, for me, it's it's like, that's something I really struggle with is that when, you know, there's like a breakthrough and then there's contraction. So it feels like, oh no, I'm going backwards. Like something is wrong, but, but it, this is like, you know, a very natural thing. It, it seems. It's a very natural thing. Um, it's not inevitable. I don't much think everyone feels this way, but it's, it's very common. And also, I want to also just emphasize that even though I think I, I, I found Peter Levine's metaphor from trauma therapy, very useful. I don't think that if one, one experiences this kind of like sudden contraction after opening that is an indication that one has trauma you know um so it's just it's like a useful kind of analogy um and i think it's you know Matt, matthew i think my answer is just that you know as much as we don't like all the constrictions and tightness that we feel in our minds and our bodies and our and that's like we often come to practice right to kind of feel more open looser whatever the term may be right less constricted that constriction is familiar right? Um, we, it's like, it's our sense of self. Um, and our sense of self is often constituted around various forms of constriction. This is how I typically hold myself, is how I respond to certain kinds of fearful situations, et cetera, et cetera. And when we, you know, when those, that conditioning relaxes and we feel a kind of opening, it's unsettling. It can be unsettling because it's like, there's a certain kind of sense of, oh, that, that familiar ground, the ground of my sense of self, my identity is not quite so solid anymore right now and so that can feel actually like you can have experience the real fear the real danger like a sense of oh this is dangerous this is this is something's not when is actually the, but the flip side of that is precisely the kind of openness and liberation that practice is all about you know and so you know i don't know if matthew if you were here one night when i use this but you know trungpa rinpoche like to describe enlightenment as like falling out of an airplane, right? And you know the the bad news is, is that there's no parachute, but the good news is that there's no ground, right? Mm -hmm. So even like the good part of the image is like you know it's scary. It takes a while to learn to skydive, um, and so we're all like doing with baby steps, like learning what it is to like jump a little bit without a certainty there's a, either a parachute or a ground, and that feeling like of course we're going to seize up once in a while, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, I think next week we're just going to do a sitting and then just have like an open discussion because I, I'm making a habit of running late and I don't, I'm, that's not good. I don't want people to feel like, uh oh, if yeah. I come, I'm stuck for too long. So, um, so uh, we should say if, if there are things that came up 
that you'd like to talk about um, tonight, please come next week and there'll be space and time. I won't take up so much space next week. So could we sit for half a minute together in silence before saying goodnight? Um, and um, I hope this was useful to people. So. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie.